0: John chapter 12. Jesus has just had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's just rode in on the donkey, the palm branches, the people saying, Blessed is the name of the Lord. He's entered Passion Week, and he knows what awaits. He knows that this will be his last celebration of Passover with his disciples in the city of Jerusalem. And he knows the suffering that he's about to endure. He knows that he'll be betrayed. He knows that he'll be arrested. He knows that he will suffer the horrific suffering and pain from the Romans and the Jewish religious authorities. He knows that the beatings are coming, the crown of thorns, the 39 lashes the beard being pulled out. He knows all that. He knows it's coming. He knows that the cross awaits. He knows that he will suffer greatly on the cross. He'll die the worst death imaginable. And he knows that he's going to be bearing the sins of the world. He sees all that coming. And it's amazing that he went. It was an agonizing thing. For him at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he agonized so much over it, the scripture says that he sweat drops of blood. And yet he went. And I want you to notice something that Jesus says to his disciples shortly before he's going to be offering himself. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So Jesus is taking an example from nature to explain, to illustrate what his death will accomplish. And you know, Jesus does that a lot. He loves to take examples from nature. And you can learn many spiritual truths from nature. In fact, if you really take the time to study creation, to take out that telescope and look at the immensity of the solar system and the universe, or if you take out the microscope and you look at the intricacies of human life, you have to know that there's a God that created that. That didn't come by chance. You didn't. It's not from goo to you by way of the zoo. God created you. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Romans 1 verse 20 says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So if you look at creation, if you look at nature, you know that there's a God. There's also a law in nature, it's uh, indisputable, it's called the law of sowing and reaping. You're familiar with that. Whatever you sow, you you reap. You can't get away from that law. And the Bible tells us that that's also true in the spiritual realm. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap corruption. Everlasting life. So lots of lessons from nature. And here Jesus is using this fascinating example from nature when it comes to his death and his burial. He says, a seed when planted, it dies, it's buried. And springing forth from that comes new life. So sort of open your hand, pretend that you have this little seed, this kernel of wheat in your hand. You can do nothing with that seed, and it'll stay a seed. But you dig a hole, drop the seed in the hole, and bury it. Brand new life will spring forth. There can only be new life that springs forth. Through the death and burial of the seed. Without the death or burial of the seed, there can be no harvest. There can be no new life. It's an interesting way to think of the agricultural process. One commentator said Whenever you drive past a cornfield looking out upon the stalks and stalks of corn, you could say, See what a large cemetery that field is. For at the foot of every stalk of corn is a tiny grave. The seeds died, giving way to a bountiful harvest. So now Jesus is applying that to himself. He says to the disciples, I'm about to die. I'm about to be buried. But from my death and burial will spring forth a harvest of new life. And Jesus is implying this is an absolute necessity. If I don't die, there will be no harvest. There can only be a harvest of souls if I do die. If I don't die, I remain alone to enjoy heaven by myself. If I do die... There's a harvest of souls that will sprout forth. And Jesus would say that to each one of us personally this afternoon. Jesus could say to you, if I don't die, there's no life for you. But if I do die, there will be life for you, abundant life, eternal life. Now, how does the death and burial of Jesus Christ on Good Friday, some 2,000 years ago, result in a harvest of life and souls? How is that possible? Well, the Bible teaches that the sinful human race is in dire circumstances. The Bible teaches that apart from Christ, we are dead spiritually in sin. God made us, he loves us, he created us, he put us in the garden, but he didn't create us as robots, he didn't program us, he created us in his image, which means we all have free will, now why did God create us with free will? So there could be love, think about that, you can't have love without free will, without choice. And God gave the human race a chance to love, to choose to obey him. And you know, in the garden, Adam and Eve blew it. The human race fell into sin. And so now, the human race is a fallen race. Sin has destroyed us. Sin has caused all kinds of destruction. Everything that you see in life the death, the crime, all the tragedy, the broken relationships, it all stems from the sinful human nature. Now, I know that's not a popular thing. The experts will tell you that people are basically good. Of course, the experts still lock their doors at night. The experts will tell you if you want to fix the human race... It's a matter of economics, education, environment. Not true. There's money and corruption in every level and sector of society. From the person with the high school diploma to the guy with a Ph.D. in theology. From the ghetto to the gated communities in Beverly Hills. From the lower class to the upper class. Sin is everywhere. And the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from the God who made us and loves us because God is sinless. He's holy. He's perfect. And so that's the condition of the human race. We're dead. But we have a God who loves us. We have a God who decided to move in history to make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. He came up with this ingenious, beautiful plan. If a her perfect human being was willing and able to die and take the punishment in the place of sinful human beings, then the sinful human beings could be forgiven. Big problem, you can't find a perfect human being. So God became one. God sent his son, the God man. And Jesus came to die on that cross for all of our sins. The perfect one, the innocent one, died in our place. The Bible teaches that the suffering that Jesus experienced at the cross was great physically. Oh, yeah, it was, but it was worse spiritually. Perfect spotless lamb of God plunged in the cesspool of human depravity all of our sins placed upon him him dying for us let's suppose that all your sins have been written in one massive book would you want to sell that book that book is heavy because it records every rotten thing you've ever said every unkind word you've ever spoken every mean thought every lustful fantasy, every evil imagination, and all your bad attitudes from the day of your birth till the day of your death. Picture yourself trying to hold that massive book. Now picture Jesus standing next to you. He's holy, perfect, pure, and good. He has no book in his hands because he's never sinned. Now picture Christ on the cross With the weight of millions of books upon his bleeding back, look closely and you will see that each book is the personal record of someone who lived on the earth. If you look closely, you can see your book too. He took your sins, the record of all your evil and all your failings and all your shortcomings. He took it all upon himself when he died on the cross. Truly the Lord laid on him, Jesus. The iniquity of us all. Can you imagine that burden? Can you imagine that weight? What Jesus felt while dying on the cross was total the total agony of every soul in hell for all eternity put together suffered in a few hours. All the punishment for all the sin of all the time. That was the depth of his death. He was guilty of no sin, yet he suffered for all sin. Now that's what happened on the cross. Jesus paid your price. He died and he was buried. That price was paid. The Bible teaches that that death and burial makes it possible for the new life. For a harvest of millions of souls to spiritual life. Because Jesus has paid the penalty, you can be forgiven. All of your sins can be washed clean. All you must do... Is put your faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for you. John chapter 1 verse 12 says. But as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. So understand this sacrifice That was made on the cross. Isn't automatically credited to your account. Please understand that on Good Friday. You have to admit that you need Christ. You have to put your faith and your trust in him. You have to ask him to save you. And if you do that. You will be given eternal life. Countless millions of souls have been saved through faith in Christ. Are you one of them? Have you received him? There's a story that's told about Stenberg, the artist. He was struck with the beauty of a gypsy girl. He took her to his studio Frequently had her sit for him. At the time, he was at his masterpiece, Christ on the Cross. And the girl used to watch him on this painting. One day, she asked him, Man, he must have been a very wicked man to be nailed to a cross like that. No, said the painter. On the contrary, he was a very good man, the best man that ever lived. He died for others. The little girl then looked up at him and asked, Well, did he die for you? Did he die for you? Stenberg was not a Christian at the time, but the gypsy's girl, that question, touched his heart, awakened his conscience, and he became a believer in him whose dying passion he had so well portrayed. Imagine that, painting a picture of what happened on Good Friday, singing songs about it. Celebrating it as a family year after year after year after year. Going through the traditions of it, but never having recognized that Jesus died for you. Did Jesus die for you? Do you believe it? Have you received him? In just a few moments, I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to receive Christ. Communion that we partake of, these elements, they represent the broken body and blood of Christ. This is something for Christians to do. You need to be a Christian in order to participate. And first, you must have knowledge your need for Jesus. Jesus. And ask him to be your Lord and Savior. But I also have a word for Christians here this morning. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord a long time. You've been a Christian for a long time. When we sit at the communion table, it should be a time of introspection. Looking at your own life. And maybe it should be a time of rededication. We should be reminded each time that we sit here together at the communion table of what Jesus did. And and, and we should renew our commitment to the Lord Jesus. In fact, the principle of the seed dying to bring forth new life should be active in you. After making this statement, look what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will lose will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So Jesus turns to his people and says, you need to give your life away. You need to die to self. You need to live for me. Jesus said, I gave my life for you, now you give your life for me and live for me. You know, the harvest will spread through the testimony of God's people. And at this table, this afternoon, I want to challenge my brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you dying to self that more harvest might come? Will you continue to be buried? Will will you continue to allow the Lord to direct every aspect of your life? Somebody said, the cedar tree is a wonderful type of the Christian. It grows by dying. As it develops stately and beautiful, putting forth new boughs and leaves, the old ones drop off to give strength to the new ones. Likewise, Saints live to die and die to live. Are you doing that? There's no greater honor or joy than we have as Christians to live for Jesus. And God wants to use you. I read about some Christians who visited a remote mission station to see how the ministry was going. As they watched the dedicated missionary team at work, they were impressed with their ministry but admitted that they missed civilization. You certainly have buried yourself out here, one of the visitors exclaimed. And the missionary replied, we haven't buried ourselves, we were planted. We were planted. You're one of God's seeds. Oh, my friend, listen, and you've been planted At a place in this community, in your family, in your circle of friends, that life may come forth. So there's a couple things that I want you to consider. As we have people come forward, we're going to dim the lights now. Those who are going to help me distribute, we're going to have our worship band come up. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord we enter into this holy pause this pause in life this good Friday service here we sit at your table to remember what you've done and Lord Jesus we thank you for giving your life away for paying that price And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to ask, have you received Christ? Have you acknowledged that Jesus died for you personally? Have you seen the sacrifice of it? Do you comprehend your need of it? Will you admit to the Lord This afternoon, that you're a sinner and that you need to be forgiven. And will you turn your life to Jesus who died on the cross for you? Will you be a part of that harvest? If you've never made that decision I want to lead you in a prayer right now I invite you right now to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior say Lord Jesus I invite you into my life right now I want to be a part of your harvest give me eternal life give me abundant life wash away all my sins I admit that I'm a sinner Thank you for dying on the cross for me. For taking the punishment in my place. Make me yours. Change my life. and for all of us who have gathered here this morning as Christians, I want to invite you to renew your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've strayed from him. Come back to him. Rededicate your life to Jesus. Considering what he has done for you. Seek to follow him. Seek to be that That seed that will be planted in your family. Give your life to him. Trust him with your life. As we distribute these elements now, I ask that you remain in an attitude of prayer and reverence and worship. Speak to your Lord. Thank him for what he's done. And we will all partake together. In these trays, there are two cups. The bottom cup contains the wafer. The lower, they're encased. And one of the cups contains the wafer and the other the juice. So just get two. And hold these together. We'll partake together together as one corporate body.